1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William yateman He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll be talking about Trump litigation, and also we'll visit about Congress and its moves to uh, towards impeachment inquiry. We'll also visit with Dr. Zudi Jasser. He is a author. His book is a uh, The Battle for the Soul of Islam. He's a former lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy and uh, now a candidate for Congress. look forward to visiting with him in Arizona. Uh, Ryan Young is senior economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. We'll be talking about inflation, interest rates, and what's happening with the economy. And then Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is December the 15th and on this day in 1791, following ratification by the state of Virginia, the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution, known collectively as the Bill of Rights, became the law of the land. In September 1789, the first Congress of the United States approved 12 amendments to the U.S. Constitution and sent them to the states for ratification. The amendments were designed to protect the basic rights of U.S. citizens, guaranteeing the freedom of speech, Press, assembly, and exercise of religion, and the right to fair and legal procedure and to bear arms, and that pow- powers not delegated to the federal government would be reserved for the states and for the people. Influenced by the English Bill of Rights of 1689, the Bill of Rights was also drawn from Virginia's Declaration of Rights, drafted by George Mason in 1776. Mason was a native Virginian. He was a lifelong champion of individual liberties, and in 1787 he attended the Constitutional Convention and criticized the final document for lacking constitutional protection for basic political rights. In the ratification struggle that followed, Mason and other critics agreed to support the Constitution in exchange for the assurance the amendments would be passed immediately. On December 15, 1791, Virginia came to the tenth of the fourteen states to approve the tenth and twelfth, tenth of the twelve amendments, thus giving the Bill of Rights the majority of state ratification necessary to make it legal. Of the two amendments not ratified, the first concerned the population system of representation, while the second prohibited laws varying the payments of congressional members from taking effect until an election intervened. The first of these two amendments was never ratified, while the second was finally ratified more than two year, 200 years later in 1992. So that's why we have 10 uh, in, uh, bills in the Bill of Rights uh, protecting our individual freedoms. Well, the good times keep on rolling. On Thursday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 158 points to hit another record close. Fueling the party was yesterday's release of strong retail sales data, along with continued faith from investors that the Fed is poised to cut interest rates next year. I think they suggested three times. We'll see about that. Moderna's stock shot up more than 9% after it revealed its experimental skin cancer vaccine helps cut the risk of death in half. U.S. stock markets closed up about a third of a point. U.S. uh, Treasury yields dropped below 4%, and so are interest rates dropping uh, in terms of home mortgages. Well, Donald Trump was pulled ahead of by uh, President Joe Biden in must-win Michigan as voters remained pessimistic about the U.S. economy. This is according to a Bloomberg News uh, morning consult poll. Uh, Trump uh, led 46 to 42 percent of the poll conducted November the tw- 27th through December the 5th after they were tied in the same survey done in October. Trump's lead is just within the poll's margin of error of four percentage points. The former president now leads in the monthly tracking poll of all seven swing states that will decide the 2024 presidential election. Biden has lost support among suburban women in Michigan and voters aged 18 to 34, and his inability to approve his standing within union households, despite being the, the first sitting president to join a picket line. That didn't work out so profitably for him. Anyhow, Uh, backing the United Auto Workers, is helping Trump, the poll found. So in other words, what I take from that is uh, union leaders support Biden. Uh, The majority, the people, the workers support Trump for the most part. Uh, Voters over the past month have swung behind former President Donald Trump, wiping out President Joe Biden's four-point lead to put the Republican on top by double digits. In the latest Rasmussen poll, Trump now leads Biden by 10 points, 48% to 38%. Different poll and even better results for Trump. Well, more than two-thirds of the U.S. House of Representatives voted in favor of a defense policy bill on Thursday that includes a record $886 billion in annual military spending. The House backed the National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, by 310 to 118 with strong support from Republicans and Democrats. It was more than two-thirds majority required to pass the measure and send it on to the White House for the President Joe Biden's signature uh, and approval. Uh, Separate from the appropriations bill that set government spending levels, the NDAA authorizes everything from pay raises for troops, this should be about 5.2%, to the purchase of ships, ammunition, and aircraft, Because it's one of the few major pieces of legislation that becomes law every year, members of Congress use it as a vehicle for a wide range of initiatives. The vote this year, which is nearly 3,100 pages long and authorizes a record $886 billion, or up 3% from last year, meant that Congress has passed the NDAA for 63 straight years. The Democrat-controlled Senate passed the bill Uh, with a majority of 87 to 13, and did that on Wednesday. The final uh, 2024 uh, NDAA also includes four-month extension of the disputed Domestic Surveillance Authority, uh, giving lawmakers more time to either reform or keep the program, known as Section 702. Uh, Very suspect, very concerned about that, being able to... uh, investigate, and uh, hone in on American citizens. The House and Senate have each passed their own versions of the NDAA earlier this year. The measure approved this week was a compromise between the two parties and two chambers. The bill extends one measure to help Ukraine, the Ukraine uh, Security Assistance Initiative, which, though the end of 2026, authorizing $300 million for the program uh, in the fiscal year ending September the 30th. However, it's just a, that's a drop in the bucket compared to the 61 billion dollars uh, that uh, Zelensky has requested to continue the battle against Russia. The emergency spending request is bogged down in Congress as Republicans have refused to approve assistance for Ukraine without Democrats agreeing to a significant toughening of immigration law. Uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky met with lawmakers in the capital. On Tuesday, and uh, walked away with his pockets empty. Nothing happened as a result of that. Well, amid President Joe Biden's immigration policies, which have led to largely daily lines of immigrants at the U.S. Mexican border seeking entry, an estimated and escalating population of gotaways has reached approximately 13 million folks at the border, surpassing the populations of most United States, the states in the United States. The revelation shared this week comes from Stephen Camarota the research director of the Center for Immigration Studies, emphasizing the challenges posed by undetected border crossings. During a conference this week, Steve Camarota, the research director for the Center for Immigration Studies, unveiled a new census-based report revealing an unexpected figure of nearly 50 million foreign-born citizens in the United States. 50 million. That's about a sixth of the population. This guy, Count surpasses earlier government projections and is believed to be more influenced by the surge in immigrants approved by Biden administration, as highlighted in the discussion. Me- Mexico has suspended deportation so that we can expect even more illegal immigrants to make it out to to our southern border. Could it get worse? Well, of course, it always can get worse. Mexico's immigration bureaucracy has announced they are just not going to deport anybody for a while deportations, or assisted returns, as they call them, have been suspended. That's not good news. So it's free journeys through Mexico to go across the American border. Well, we do have some strength because now uh, nothing's going to get approved unless we get some border strength uh, uh, and uh, protection for the border. Well, the European Union agreed yesterday to begin talks with Ukraine and Moldova over bringing the countries into the 27-member uh European Union uh, Ukraine applied for the membership last February four days after Russia's initial invasion similar to NATO, NATO which uh, talks of Ukraine's membership if not meaningfully progressed the EU has a mutually defense clause, a mutual defense clause the condition would in principle require the EU to defend Ukraine's border with Russia uh, were Ukraine to eventually join the formal accession process is nearly to, likely to take years and require wide-ranging Uh, conditions on Ukraine's side. Uh, This is so interesting. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban left the room during the vote to allow for unanimous decision days after saying he would derail the bid. Notably, however, EU officials have separately agreed to unblock $11 billion to Hungary on Wednesday evening. So there's a quid pro quo there. Orban uh, walked hat in hand out of the room, let them vote, and he gets the $11 billion from the EU to uh, his, his country. In related news, Russian p- President Vladimir Putin signals openness to prison swaps for two U.S. citizens currently imprisoned in his country. Well, European, Union, uh, uh, European officials said yesterday they have detained four men, three in Germany and one in the Netherlands, on suspicions of plotting terror attacks on Jewish sites across Europe. The suspects are believed to be members of Hamas. Authorities said one person had been tasked with loc- locating a stockpile of weapons that had been secretly stored in the past. Authorities said there was not a direct link with the Israeli-Hamas war. As their investigation preceded uh, Hamas' October the 7th attack on southern Israel, uh, separately at least 12 people were killed and 34 injured during a three-day ra- raid by Israel's troops into the West Bank. Uh, Palestinian officials said, uh, uh, Israeli Israeli officials said they found multiple explosive labs. Meanwhile, the U.S. officials reportedly warned Israel to limit civilian casualties as it pushed through southern Gaza, calling for the end of intense fighting. Netanyahu, however, said the war would continue until Hamas was eliminated. Uh, He said, I told our American friends our heroic fighters have not fallen in vain He said, and according to the statement from his office, Netanyahu said, uh, from the deep pain of of their falling, we are no more determined than ever, now more determined than ever, to continue to fight against Hamas until it is eliminated, until absolute victory. So uh, we appreciate your concerns, President Biden, but we're going to do it our way. Thank you. And just to remind you, Robert Gates, the once uh, CIA director, said that uh, Biden never once made uh, the right decision when it came to foreign policy. And I think this is just another example. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at uh, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, I'm going to visit with William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting
1: Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is B's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rocking good time. 4541.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. is going to be absolutely fabulous. You can find out more and get tickets to some great performances coming up now. Recently, uh, soon in the uh, Norris Center, go to Playhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. Zudi Jasser, candidate for Congress in uh, Arizona, among other things, a great man and a good friend. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation.
3: You bet. Uh we're a nonprofit law firm and we represent Americans for free from uh who are suffering from government overreach and abuse.
1: That's about all of us.
2: <laughs> uh, alas.
1: <laughs> but pacificlegal.org is the website pacificlegal.org so i want to catch up with you on what's going on on capitol hill let's start off with the trump litigation a lot of recent developments maybe you can tell us about it
3: indeed some major developments so special counsel jack
1: smith is very intent upon conducting this
3: trial at the height of the campaign or the campaign season um so uh that was the big going on this week. Uh, you, might, Your listeners might have seen headlines about how Jack Smith was taking the extraordinary measure of trying to skip a step, mm-hmm. trying to skip an appellate step and go straight to the Supreme Court um, to decide this legal question that uh, gets it to the heart of whether or not he can prosecute President Trump. Um, this emanates from a, a December 1st order from Judge Chutkin, uh, the D.C. Uh, district court judge, And she had denied President Trump's claim that uh, the president enjoys immunity from criminal prosecution for acts taken while he was in office. Um, uh, Trump subsequently appealed this decision. Now, uh, to your listeners, it is uh, very rare that one is allowed to uh, pursue an appeal of an intermediate step or an intermediate decision like this before, like the, the jury trial has been held and the full trial has been held. But this particular question, whether or not a president enjoys, or has immunity from criminal prosecution for acts taken while in office, um, it checks all the boxes uh, of the sort of issue that does get to proceed with what is known as this interlocutory appeal. Um, now, so Trump takes this step, appeals to the D.C. Circuit, the next level appellate court. The problem for the prosecution, I guess, the problem for the Biden administration, I guess, is that Trump's appeal is worthy appeal. And by worthy, I mean that it was a live issue. It was appropriate for interlocutory appeal. I wasn't speaking to the the actual merits of the argument that the president enjoys immunity from criminal prosecution. Um, it would have delayed the trial schedule set forth by Chutkin, which again has the trial starting, I believe, the day before Super Tuesday on March 4th and mm-hmm. would have kept Trump in court, um, likely for a couple months, March to May, And potentially uh, would have had him convicted in uh, August uh, in August of this year. You know, and again, DC, whence the jury pool um, would come for that trial, is ninety-five percent Democrat. Um, So uh, Jack Smith evidently couldn't countenance the prospect of a delay, Um, and instead of pursuing, actually, he did. He pursued immediately uh, an expedited appeal at the D.C. Circuit. Um, but then decided evidently that that wouldn't be fast enough um, because shortly thereafter, I mean, hours thereafter, uh, took an appeal directly to the Supreme Court, in essence saying, um, Supreme Court, please decide this question on an expedited basis before the D.C. Circuit gets to it um, because it's that important. Uh, I'll note this. As observed by Byron York in the Washington Examiner yesterday, Jack Smith's uh, petition to the Supreme Court doesn't actually articulate a reason, other than sort of uh, general claims to national importance, as to why the Supreme Court should take the extraordinary step um, of accepting this appeal before the D.C. Circuit were to weigh in on it. Um, And one can only conclude, or it's likely to conclude, and certainly Byron York did, and and I'm tend to agree with them, um, that the impetus here simply seems to be to have Trump tried before the election. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 these political considerations are very much paramount in their decision making. And uh, from a bird's eye view, this just gets the, uh, um, I'm not condoning in any way what happened on January 6th, but as I had said on prior Fridays, this is just a slow rolling constitutional catastrophe. Right. Um, you know, Again, the incumbent president, uh, out of his administration, went this Jack Smith probe and ultimately prosecution. And it's his political rival, um the gentleman who currently is besting Biden in the polls, and this this singular focus on having this trial before the election. Um, you know, it, it frankly, it stinks. Um, and I, again, I think for, um, it's just a it's a huge pity. It's a tremendous pity. One, that for some reason they delayed this prosecution. They seemingly timed it um, perfectly so that Trump would be uh, out of the campaign trail. But two, the Biden administration didn't nip this in a bud um, when Jack Smith, it, or as I've spoken on prior Fridays, the administration arguably had the authority to say, well, regardless of whether or not there's merit to this prosecution, uh, you know, this is a slow rolling constitutional catastrophe in the making. Um, that they didn't exercise that discretion. So well, the whole I,
1: thing- I, I can't believe that the Supreme Court is going to take a lot of time with this because, you know, the justice is supposed to be blind. It's not supposed to be paying attention to uh, political concerns. It's supposed to be paying t- uh, attention to the Constitution and individual rights and so forth. So I would imagine that they're, I would hope, that they're just going to deny his request.
3: Well, we shall see. I mean, it would. Uh, one would imagine, and again, the. It- the court isn't supposed to account for politics, but that they would want nothing with this issue and that certainly they would, wouldn't would want to skip uh, ordinary common steps in the process, the, right. the, the proper process, in order to take it on. Um, so, you know, but that said, it's a fool's errand to prognosticate the Supreme Court. Um, so uh, I, I, I won't venture a guess. Um, nonetheless, the whole thing, you know, this is, we have now implicated potentially the Supreme Court yeah. into this constitutional crisis so the whole thing is is um it's just awful it really is
1: it really is before i let you go william i wonder if you could comment at all on the impeachment uh, inquiry vote and uh, your thoughts on that
3: well indeed so the house this week by a party line 221 to 212 vote um formally uh, ratified the impeachment process and as i've spoken about on prior friday's uh, this is legally important in that it enhances the subpoena power of House committees in pursuing their investigation. Um, so, again, I'm all for the uh, Congress's plenary investigatory power, um, and, and you know, we'll see where this goes next.
1: Absolutely. I, it, to me, though, it just seems to me that if, uh, in fact, this is uh, passed on to the Justice Department, for example, Hunter's unwillingness to show up for the uh, uh, deposition, uh is the Department of Justice going to do anything about
3: this? Well, now, to be sure, for defying of subpoenas, um, of individual subpoenas, yes. But there are other, you know, again, bank records. There are third-party subpoenas um, of the sort where uh, the, the Justice Department... Well, I'm pardon my ignorance, and I'll actually have an answer next Friday, but I believe Congress has an independent litigating authority, ah. Um or pursuit of third-party subpoenas. But I will have a clarification on that next Friday. Uh, Wayne,
1: just just really appreciate your commentary here. Again, uh, the website is pacificlegal.org. pacificlegal.org. I hope you check it out. Uh, Wayne, thank you so much for your commentary.
3: Oh, my pleasure, Bob. Thank you so much for having
1: me. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Dr. Zudi Jasser, that and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
1: Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310
0: Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part, well, I should say we're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Ryan Young, Senior Economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Right now, we have with us Dr. Zudi Jasser. He's a medical doctor in Phoenix, Arizona. He's also a former lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy. Uh, he's got a very rich background. And now, uh, I should also say he has written a book called The Battle for the Soul of Islam. It's a terrific and very transparent read. Uh, but he's now a candidate for U.S. Congress in District 4 in Arizona. Dr. Jasser, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
4: Oh, thanks for having me, Bob. It's always good to be with you.
1: Thank you so much, Jasser. I must point out to our audience that I've known you, well, for at least 15 years. In fact, we've had a chance to visit personally and had you on the show just many, many times. So, But this is a, just a pleasant surprise because all of your background, I believe, uh, has prepared you for this moment to serve in the U.S. Congress. I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
4: Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I've sort of seen three phases in my life. Uh, One is the military for 11 years, having served uh, on board ship and then as a physician to Congress, and then been in primary care in uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, for 25 years. Um, Been head of the Medical Association in Arizona and also uh, uh, helped try to preserve the rights of uh, private practice for uh, physicians. And also in in the pandemic, saw our profession uh, weaponized uh, by the government that I used medicine to further control patients' lives and make choices for them from masking to vaccines. But also that third part of my life, which was post-9-11, as I've been raised, which walked towards the fire to help our country and help my patients, uh, I walked towards the fire and realized that uh, the problem of terrorism, Al-Qaeda, is a deep-rooted ideological problem that involved reformation, that involved countering theocracy. And it reminded me of why my family escaped Syria to come to America, which is we were able to practice our faith more freely in America than in any Muslim-majority country. So uh, post-9-11, we formed a foundation to counter political Islam, to counter theocracy. And now, after the pandemic, I realize that a lot of this work I've been doing on the theopolitical realm and the medical realm and uh, community realms of building coalitions, it's, uh, it's time to step into a different frying pan, which is Washington. And I realize that uh, we need folks that are about solutions, about moving forward, about countering the left's demagoguery, countering this red-green alliance that we see the AOCs of the world working with the Islamists, and I think also it's an opportunity to uh, rebrand modernize what it is to be a conservative and, and a Republican. Uh, I think for too long the left has dominated that narrative, and I'm ready to uh, uh, be Elhan Omar's and Rashida Tlaib's worst nightmare and uh, realize that we can take it beyond identity politics and defeat that, and, uh, defeat these DEI programs, the wokeism, and uh, ultimately remind America that our founding principles are about diversity of ideas, not about uh, identity politics.
1: Absolutely, Doctor. I'm just so pleased that you made this step. Now, uh, right now, uh, our uh, FBI Director, Ray, has said that the uh, threat of uh, terrorism in the United States is greater now more than ever. The list of uh, on the terror list has grown to 2 million, And, uh, you know, your background is so rich, Uh, you've actually produced a documentary called The Third Jihad, which I recommend to everybody. It's, I think, is still relevant today. Uh, What would be your goals in terms of helping to secure our border and uh, to uh, to combat this threat that we have here in the United States?
4: This is our top priority as far as our platform uh, in our campaign, and if people go to Z4AZ.com, dot zcom they'll see our uh, border uh, security platform. But basically that includes not only sealing the border and stopping the hemorrhaging, but uh, actually writing legislation that the Biden uh, migrants uh, need to be returned. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, enough is enough. We have the Obama migrants and now the Biden migrants. And number two is to also, in addition to uh, completing the physical barrier, to uh, uh, create a technological barrier that, uh, you know, wherever there is uh, any gaps in the physical barrier, we can see that they're coming through. And and third, to, to stop this uh, false asylum program, uh, bring back true ideological vetted to asylum where people can't go through three or four countries if you went past you know, two or three of them. It's not the United States that is the one that's going to adjudicate that. It should be the second or third country that you went through. So really bringing back a robust asylum program after we've stopped the hemorrhaging, after we've sent back the Biden migrants, if you will. And uh, last is to talk about, you know, people forget how much the bully pulpit of conversation of the border is important. When President Trump was in office, there was much, much less uh, traversing of the border because the world knew that we only wanted you in America if you wanted to come here for the social con for the ideology of being American, understanding Americanism. It was no longer just simply a place to exploit. And uh, all of these folks that you interviewed that say, oh, thank you, President Biden, et cetera, they're just coming here to destroy our national consciousness, to destroy not only the physical national sovereignty, but the conscience Of our national sovereignty which is what they're coming to do and we don't want that and that's just as people said when President Reagan called the Soviet Union the evil Empire and Etan Sharansky said he knew he'd be free when we have leaders in Congress that are constantly daily reminding the world and president reminding the world that you come here if you believe in who we are and don't come otherwise because you can only visit and you don't get to stay here and you come legally that then will stop 80% of the hemorrhaging that is a flow related to them thinking that they have a welcome mat to step all over our country.
1: Absolutely, Doctor. And uh, by the way, uh, another com- important issue is the economy right now. What we're seeing going on with the green energy uh, and the, the proposals that we have right now, we are hemorrhaging money and we ha- have inflation. I was wondering if you could give us any of your thoughts on that.
4: And again, listen, you know, as, as as a candidate for office, I know, I talk to my patients in district every day about the issues that matter to them. And yes, national security is important, but the number one thing that our families care about is the ability to provide for their kids, to provide for the next generation, to provide for their homes. And they're now working two jobs to to make more money to provide the same things that they did two, three years ago. And... uh. Uh, just uh, unheard of spending printing of money that created a inflationary economy that any American with a simple economic education would know would have known was going to happen, and yet nobody cared about the inflationary economy it 's time to get back legislation and and uh, uh, leaders that will provide a growth economy that unhinge the engine of economic uh, success in America that allow us to to provide our own oil and not get it from corrupt countries like venezuela and the middle east and and uh, allow the economic engine of america to grow and it's simple you you decrease taxation and you will have and and i I think this election this is why i'm running the election is going to be similar to what it was in 1980 where you have this is carter 2.0 or biden Uh, is obama 3.0 whichever you want the bottom line is there's going to be a red wave and it's going to be because of the economy and americans wanting a growth economy to shrink the government get it out of the way of business and allow people to uh, uh... get back to business and making money for their families
1: Absolutely. Again, Dr. Zudi Jasser, I, I support your candidacy. I personally believe you are the perfect candidate to be involved in Congress right now because of your rich background and all the issues that we're dealing with right now. I just encourage our listeners to go to your website, Z4AZ. Now that's Z and then dot com is the website. Z4AZ.com. Make a contribution and support Dr. Zudi Jasser. He will be a great. Uh, Leader in Washington, D.C. Doctor, I just genuinely appreciate uh, your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you, Bob. You're the best. Appreciate it.
1: My pleasure indeed, Doctor. All right, coming up, uh, Ryan Young. He's a senior economist uh, with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: For more of the Bob Harton Show, here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
1: Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America.
0: Back to the Bob Hartman Show, and now here's your host, Bob
1: Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to remind you that Lullaby's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center is now serving dinner Wednesdays through Saturdays, four to eight p.m. They have a terrific menu, brand new menu, in fact, with pork chops and a lot of new entrees, and uh, with great value. It's inexpensive. It's clean, it's wonderful, and uh, I hope you'll go to Bee's Dine in the Green Tree Shopping Center Wednesdays through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m. for dinner. Coming up, we're going to visit with, uh, doc, for, uh, with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now, we have with us Ryan Young. Ryan is a senior economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, Thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure, Ryan. Tell us about the Competitive Enterprise Institute. We are a think tank
2: based in Washington, D.C., and we focus on all things having to do with regulation, from finance to labor to technology. Um, we have a research program. We litigate. We do, we're a do tank as well as a think tank, we like to say.
1: Yeah, well, definitely well said because it, it's a great Great institution, and I must say that uh, right now the Fed has decided to leave interest rates the well, way they are right now as well as to even some indication or hint that there might be a reduction of interest rates going forward. I want to get your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I think leaving it where it is is more or less the right call, but I'm worried about the call to lower rates mm. uh, next year. Um, right now, I mean, the Fed has been doing – more or less the right thing when it comes to monetary policy for about a year and a half now. Um, I've been hard on them because the Fed did a lot to cause all this inflation in the first place. They grew the money supply by 40%, and the rule of thumb is that when you print a bunch of money, you're going to get inflation, and that's what happened with all the pandemic stimulus. We're recovering from that right now. Um, So the Fed stopped the printing press. They raised interest rates, which slows down the circulation of money, which is how that helps to control inflation. And that rate has gone from zero to now, topping out at 5.5%. And that's helped, but we're not all the way there yet. The trouble we have going forward is credibility. So the money supply is doing the right thing, but now companies are signing contracts and making supply decisions that go months, some cases even years down the road. And they're basing those prices in those contracts and those decisions on not what inflation is doing right now, but what they think and what they expect inflation will be doing six months or a year from now. And if markets think that the Fed and Congress and President Biden are going to go on another spending spree and have to print a bunch of money to pay for it, ah. those inflation expectations will keep today's inflation still high. So that's why I'm worried about the Fed saying that they might cut rates and go back into stimulus mode.
1: Well, oh, That's so interesting, Ryan. And another thing that's happening right now, apparently uh, uh, holiday spending is up, surprisingly up, Uh, quite frankly, and uh, uh, the other thing I'm reading is that uh, many companies are starting to lay people off here during the holiday season. Uh, So there's kind of a double message there. What are your thoughts?
2: Part of that is that people still have, in some cases, have some COVID-era savings that they're still spending down. Ah. Another good thing is that wages for most of this year now have actually been outpacing inflation. Mm. Inflation has been high, but wages have been growing faster um, as far as the layoffs, um, the most recent job report still said that the economy gained on on net two hundred thousand jobs the previous week or the previous month, which is on pace for jobs increasing on net by about a million and a half. So we're losing jobs in some places, we're gaining jobs in other places. And we're also frankly reaching the point of full employment. The unemployment rate is down to three point seven percent, which is historically really low labor force participation is going back up. A lot of the workers who are sitting on the sidelines during the pandemic have gone back to work now, and things are mostly back to where they were. Mm. Uh, when unemployment's that low, it's not going to be a surprise when job growth does slow or you see more layoffs, simply because we are very close to full employment. So that's not ideal, but it's also not the worst news in the world we've been through much worse recently
1: well thank you for that the the other interesting thing to me though is while these employment numbers continue to rise or or to maintain a lot of the employment is in health care which is subsidized in large part by the government as well as uh, in government employees themselves I'm I'm guessing about half of the employees in the last uh, jobs report were coming from those two sources what are your thoughts
2: yeah, public sector growth has been a big deal lately. And uh, as far as healthcare, it's not so much the number of jobs, it's what they do. Mm-hmm. And so many of those jobs are focused on regulatory compliance and paperwork um, that, frankly, you can argue that there's too much employment in healthcare because a lot of those jobs aren't creating care or value for patients. They're mm-hmm. complying with regulations. Oh. That's a story for another time and well outside of my expertise, but that is part of the story.
1: But it's such an important comment, uh, so thank you for that. The other thing is uh, you had commented on regulations. As uh, Of course, uh, Wayne Cruz, one of your cohorts at the uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute, always comes out with a report every year. Uh, regulations are creating so much cost in our economy. I think I, I saw a wrong report that was like $14,000 a year per household. Uh, any, any comments?
2: Yeah, that was my colleague Wayne's report, 10,000 commandments, which comes out every year. Um, $14,500 per household per year is what regulations usually cost the economy. Mm. Um, it totals up to almost $2 trillion, which is equivalent to the world's eighth largest economy, just to comply with federal regulations. State and local, that's extra. So that is, that's a big deal. That's, almost, that's between 7 and 8% of GDP. Uh, and think of how much friction that causes in the economy. Yeah. Everything from housing uh, to health care to you name it. it, regulations are everywhere. And the average household spends more on regulatory compliance uh, than they do on any other household item, food, clothing, education, except for housing. That's the only thing that costs more than regulation. And even that's made more expensive by housing. Regulation is why mortgage rates are high. There are tariffs on building supplies like steel and lumber, all that combines to create an enormous drag on the economy. It's a minor miracle we're doing as well as we are.
1: I would agree. It's in, in fact, also, it's a regressive tax in the sense that everybody's responsible and has to pay it irrespective of the level of income that you have. So, uh, And and the, the the other thing is that uh, uh, these these regulations, when, when uh, Trump was president, he cut two regulations for every regulation that was put into place that had a freeing sense of uh, in, in stimulating the economy. Why don't we do that now?
2: There are about a dozen bills active in Congress right now, uh, and a few have actually passed the House. Uh, that would make some progress on regulatory reform. Um, there's a lot there. We not only have an ongoing flow of more than 3,000 new regulations every year. That's, wow. about, that's almost 10 per day. Wow. Um, but there's also an existing stock of regulations that we need to clean up. The code of federal regulations where all these are stored is currently about 188,000 pages.
1: Unbelievable. Ryan Young, again, senior economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Ryan, I always appreciate your commentary here on the road. The website is cei.org, cei.org. I hope you'll check it out. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Professor Larry Bell, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement?
0: back to the Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and know the policy. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in their elected office. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Full disclosure, I'm on the board of the Foundation for Government Accountability, but I hope you visit the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, a endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture. He's the author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. He also writes his column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
5: I've always enjoyed it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Professor. Well, I'll mention that you write about three columns a week on On Point and Newsmax.com. Your latest that I found was Trump's banana republic antagonists should fear his return. Maybe you could comment on that.
3: Yeah, I think it's pretty
5: interesting that, you know, the I think uh, the Trump administration and Democrats in general are starting to uh get pretty fearful about the polls they're seeing where where Trump is leading uh Biden uh by by a pretty significant margin, you know, several points, um, particularly in, in the in the swing states as well, and uh, and of course he's he's a likely candidate for, to be, you know to be the uh, one to run against him as far as the uh, Republican primaries concerned, and uh, I, I see a certain amount of alarm uh, right now that. Mm-hmm. That you know, after all of the, the you know the the bad stuff, the lawfare indictments that have really plagued him, even before he won in 2016, that there's going to be some comeuppance. And uh, I think to to counter that, there are now New York Times and a lot of other of the uh, so-called mainstream media are are raising this specter that oh, he's going to be a dictator, you know, and so on. But I think what they really see is uh, there's going to be some comeuppance, and uh, I'm not altogether uh, upset about that.
1: I think that's absolutely true. The thing that concerns me is uh, that, you know, we had Black Lives Matter uh, revolts in different cities around the United States and Minneapolis and other places, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm concerned that we're going to see the same thing again. In other words, the attempts to... Uh, Disrupt the economy, disrupt our society, uh, going into the next election.
5: Well, I see that, but uh, there's also another kind of alarming thing I see uh, is that you know if if the Democrats are successful in making one of the in making any of these charges stick in an attempt to uh, disqualify him as president, as they, as a candidate, as they've been trying to do so often. With the country so polarized, and I think now with the edge uh, with the um, you know, conservatives feeling like Trump is the, is their likely representative, if if they were somehow successful in disqualifying him, I think that the, you know, there would be something like a revolution in this country. And I'm not I'm not talking about neighbors taking up arms against neighbors, but. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever had anything, certainly not in my lifetime, that would be provoke as much uh, unrest and anger, distress as something like that. So I think you know it's it's a it's a pretty sensitive time, and then of course we have all the international stuff and on, on top of the domestic issues that. Also could be upsetting, you know, call the black swan events that
0: mm-hmm.
5: you don't really expect, but but they have you know, major consequences. So it's going to be a walking on eggs kind of period now, I think, for a little less than a year until the next election.
1: Well, thanks for those comments. And I'm not an attorney, and uh, I know you're a professor and uh, very well read and so forth, but not, a, not an attorney either. My right. understanding of the Constitution is that even if the president were convicted of one of these crimes, that in fact it would not impede his uh, right to run for president. Yeah, and I suspect it's it
5: has to do with, with, the, with the actual charges.
1: Um,
5: and that and
1: that score,
5: Democrats are going to have to where they're going to get what they're wishing for because the same would apply to Biden with imaginably and uh you know we're seeing now with the impeachment inquiry going forward and I for one you know you know I've been writing about it we've been discussing
0: mm-hmm. all
5: all of the you know uh infractions and tribulations of the Biden family that uh you know Joe Biden would be Certainly eligible for a lot of wrath, legal wrath as well. So, uh, if he's president, or even if he's not, so it's it's a curious set of events. I think it's any any of these things would be very precedent setting and not always in a good way.
1: Uh, you're absolutely right. In fact, uh, <laughs> we've weaponized the FBI, the CIA, now weaponized lawfare. Uh, it, but you know what? It's a <laughs> the gun shoots both ways, to, in a manner of speaking. Well, yes, and
5: I think if we if we could put ourselves in, in our minds just a few years ago to imagine the FBI, you know, covering up the laptop information and IRS letting uh, you know letting statute of limitations run on a on a president's son uh, tax issues involving millions of dollars, and we look at a. I, I you know, To me, the classic is the, uh, you know, the Capitol riot uh, hearings in Washington where there was no cross-examination of witnesses. And, and despite how elaborately staged it was, they left out of the part where he said, you, you know, go, go peacefully and let your voices be heard. Yes. And they actually took that out of the transcript, you know, and it, it's just absolutely amazing. But we see it also, you know, and I was reading the New York Times account. I, I, I do read the New York Times and a lot of other you know, newspapers just to get diverse perspectives. And the New York Times is, was picking up on this thing I mentioned earlier about uh, Trump will be a dictator. And to, to, to illustrate that, they, they were quoting him and, you know, he was uh, Trump was interviewed on the Hannity show. Uh, kind of a town hall kind of format and about would he be a dictator and he said yes on day one i'll be a dictator uh and, and then but they omitted the part where he said it, his being a dictator referred to to uh opening you know, to closing the border and opening the gas in an oil drilling and and the new york times even as recently as a couple of days ago was omitting this information. Yeah. So, uh And Cash Patel, who's kind of kind of a spokesman for Trump, I think. You know, I, I, I like the guy.
1: I do too. It, it, it
5: talked about retribution, and, and my wife Nancy was saying, "Oh, Larry, this article don't write about retribution. It makes it seem like like we want retribution." I said, "Nancy, I want retribution." <laughs>
1: yeah.
5: <laughs> well. I said, yeah. I said we can call it retribution and call it justice. So long as it happens, I'm
1: all for it. I am as well, Professor. It's just a great column. I just really recommend to our listeners uh, what you wrote. It's, again, On Point is the name of the column in uh, Newsmax.com. Trump's banana republic antagonist should fear his return. Take a look at his other columns as well. Also, uh, Dr. Uh, Larry Bell, his his uh, book, is his latest, I should say, because he's written about a dozen, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design by Larry Bell. Highly recommend it. I've read it and uh, just and take a look at his other works on climate change and so many other issues as well. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
5: Well, I always enjoy it and hope you and your, your listeners uh, have a wonderful Christmas season, just as all of us.
1: Thank you so much, Professor. You as well. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. It's always a learning experience for me, and I enjoy doing the show so much. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I really appreciate your patronage and uh, listening to the show. If you enjoyed I hope you pass the word on to your friends and neighbors. Uh, again, we can't do the show without advertisers, and that's one of the ways we support them is increasing our audience. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>
0: so much for listening to the bob hardin show on the bob hardin broadcasting network for more information and audio files of previous shows visit www.bobhardin.com